how I hear it. How do I stop that? Welcome back to Impact Exposure. The past interview was with Omari Tao, who is in the cast of The Lion King, and The Lion King is wrapping up its one-month tour at the Wharton Center. The last show ends on Sunday. For more information about tickets, um, you can call 1-800-WHARTON or go to www.whartoncenter.com. And now in the studio, I have Nick Drew, who is the event chair of Relay for Life, and he is, he is here to talk about the event that is coming up this weekend. So welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you. So tell me a little bit about Relay for Life. Um, Relay for Life is one of the American Cancer Society's most significant events. Um, it's the most well-known among people. Um, it's a 24-hour walk. It started out with a Dr. Gordy Clapp back 25 years ago. Um, he was running around the track, and he was having people run around with him in exchange for donations. Um, and from there, basically, ACS took it to make it into an annual thing for many cities across America. Okay. Um, and how many people are you expecting to come to this event this weekend? Um, currently, we have about 1,400 people registered on our website. Um, we're hoping about 2,000 people, um, including family, friends, and other people. Is this more individual sign-up, or is it more groups that sign up together? Um, we've seen more groups sign up together, basically um, different clubs and dorms and other. You know, we do have a couple of fraternities and sororities that have signed up, and basically it's all of them plus any family members, friends, or you know, other relatives. And is this a 24-hour event? Yep. It's uh, 3 to 3. Um, our opening ceremony is at 5 p.m., and it goes to our closing ceremony at 3 p.m. on Saturdays. And what are the ceremonies like? Um, the ceremonies are very empowering. The opening ceremony is going to be really big to get everyone pumped up, along with the celebrate ceremony. Um, the remember ceremony is a bit sad just because of um, that's basically our survivor lap and our caregiver lap, and so it's a little more emotional. But we bring it back up toward the end of the event with the fight back ceremony. Okay. So describe the atmosphere at Relay for Life. Um, I've had a lot of friends that participate in it. Are people camping out? Are they grilling? Are they exhausted? Are they running around the track? Are they, is there entertainment? Um, yeah, toward the beginning of the event, it's very, you know, very jam-packed. Um, a lot of people, a lot of, you know, a lot of energy. Um, toward the end of the event, a lot of people are exhausted. I know me and a lot of my committee won't be sleeping throughout the entire event. So it gets pretty, you know, gung-ho toward the end of it. But... Um, yes, there will be tons of entertainment, different activities to keep people there throughout the night. Okay. What kind of entertainment do people expect? Um, we have a ton of bands coming. I know we have some acapella groups, dance clubs. Um, we're doing a Relay Olympics throughout the middle of the night, and then we'll have a bunch of little assorted activities. I know there's a scavenger hunt, and all of our activities will have prizes, too. So. Okay. Now, are the funds raised at this event donated locally? Um, part of them are. Most of them aren't. They go directly to the American Cancer Society. And, I mean, what does the American Cancer Society fund? Fund Is it medicine? Is it treatment? or? Um, it goes toward research to find cures against cancer. I know part of that is our CPS3, which is our, we, it's our third cancer prevention study. Um, it's not actually being offered at our location just because we don't fit the eligibility requirements. I know it's offered in Grand Ledge and Eaton Rapids. Um, it also goes towards advocacy, fighting back with Congress, trying to get them to pass more laws against, like, smoking and tobacco and stuff like that. And then it also goes to local, local services, like um, we give free rides to cancer patients. Um, we give a, free mammograms to those who are uninsured, stuff like that. Um, now, how many cancer survivors participate in the event? Um, this year we've had 40 survivors in our own past year. That number's been lower. But we did hit, I believe it's 43 cancer survivors that have registered with us this year. 
how long has MSU been involved with, with Relay for Life? Um, we're happy to say that this is our 10th year on campus doing Relay for Life. Okay. And last year I read that um, the Relay for Life at MSU in April was one of the top three schools um, that had participants that were their they are volunteering their time or, you know, donating to the cause. Tell me a little bit about that. Is um, it a competition between schools or? Um, it kind of is, especially between us and U of M. I know they were ranked in the top ten as well. However, we did beat them last year. We were number three among all collegiate events in America. I believe right now we are ranked number two, but our fiscal year doesn't end until the end of September. Now, whenever I hear about, um, I guess, fundraising or volunteering, Relay for Life is something that really sticks out. There's so, I mean, you said how many people are participating in this event so far? 1,400. 1,400. That's a huge amount of people to come in. Why do you think so many people participate in this? How, think, did, it, how did it become so huge? I think many, many people participate in this just because ACS is known for providing quality services. And people know what the Relay for Life is. They may not know much about the American Cancer Society, but people, you know, they know that mo almost all of our um, contributions go toward um, what we say they're going to go towards. Okay. Um, now, will there be speakers at the event? Um, yep, we do have a couple speakers. Um, we're going to have a person from our committee speaking as well as a three-year-old boy's mother who was just recently diagnosed, as well as in our fight back ceremony, we will have a football player speaking. Now, you've, I'm assuming that you've participated in this event before. What's your favorite memory of participating? Um, I really enjoy the ceremony just because um, I love seeing how the committee can be really creative and work with what they have to perform these ceremonies. I know for me, especially the Remember Ceremony, I do get a very teared up just because of the presentation that they give. Okay. Um, so explain to me a little bit about, um, I guess, why, why is this so important for you? Um, this was a really um, true cause to my heart. Both of my grandmothers both had cancer. Um, one of them had breast and the other one had skin cancer. And this is just a way for me to give back to ACS for helping them okay. be alive. Now, I heard that Greek Week already had a Relay for Life event in March. Is that true? That's correct. Does, um, is this still a part of the Relay for Life that you guys are putting out? Um, as in terms of some things, we are one, but because Greek Week decides to have their own relay, they have their own relay, and then this is the general one. Of course, for the general one, everyone is welcome to attend. And where will this be held? This will be held at the Ralph C. Young Track and Field, directly um, southwest of the stadium. Okay. And where can you go for more information? Um, if they can go, they can go to SpartanRelay.com or email SpartanRelay at gmail.com. And again, that's this weekend. And what are the times again? Um, the opening ceremony starts at 5 p.m. and it runs through Saturday with our closing ceremony at 3 p.m. Okay. Thank you very much, Nick, for coming on the show and talking about Relay for Life. Thank you so much. You're listening to Exposure only on 89FM, The Impact. Impact 89FM presents How to Deal with a One-Night Stand. Hi. Hi. Did we, uh... Yeah, I think so. So, where? How was I? In this situation, think about Sitter Sin. Would you want to do it again? Or would you rather forget it ever happened? Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> me, me. 
there. Uh, what was your name again? Boy, slap across the face and then throw his phone on the ground. Think about the afterglow. Think about that relaxing song that always seems to calm you down and try your hardest not to beat him up. It doesn't even matter. I'm just, I'm just gonna go. Hey, hey, wait, wait, wait. We're having another party next week. You wanna come? This is just like the gas list. If you don't like what you hear, then make your own playlist. Don't make the same mistake again. Have your own party and make sure he is not on the list. No, that's okay. I just remember that I, uh, um, you know, have a life. Okay, check your later. Impact Sunday night kicks off with a guest list from 6 to 8, then sit or spin from 8 to 10, and the afterglow from 10 to midnight. It's six hours of radio that's listening to you. The Impact. You're listening to 89FM's Exposure. Phone lines are open at 432-3893. And now back to Exposure. Welcome back to Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox, and here I am in the studio for the planning committee for Take Back the Night. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you. Now tell me a little bit about this event. Um, Take Back the Night is, it was 30 years anniversary last year, um, and it's a day dedicated to ending sexual violence. Um, it's all day long. There's tons of different events, and it ends with a rally um, to the district court. And when is this event? April 21st, within next Tuesday. Next Tuesday. Next Tuesday, okay. Um, and what kind of um, different events are going on during Tuesday? Um, in the beginning, we started out just flyering. We're in Beaumont Field, which is right in the middle of campus. Um, we make posters. We have the clothesline project, which is um, a long clothesline of T-shirts that um, victims and co-survivors make um, either to re-empower themselves or to honor someone else. Um, we also have some new workshops this year. We have an Allies in Healing workshop, which is we haven't done in the past. That's for people who, um, you know, love or are close to someone who is a survivor of sexual violence, domestic violence, and it's just a safe space to kind of, um, you know, to kind of protect yourself and just uh, get strong about it and stuff like that. And we also have an LGBTQ um, safe space this year, which is different from any years prior. And we also always have a men's forum. Um, all of those events take place around the same time at about 3 or 4 in the afternoon. They last about an hour in the, in the union. Um, we also have um, the candlelight vigil for women. It's a safe space for women that takes place right on the field um, for survivors and co-survivors to come and talk and to just be with others and it's a really safe space and it's really empowering for those people. Um, otherwise we have a speak out which um, it's open mic and anyone who's around in the area or who's participating can come up at any time and talk, read a poem, sing a song, anything that they want to do and it's really, really great. So. And then I, I also have a, a calendar in front of me with um, sexual, sexual Assault Awareness Month activities that are going on. Mm-hmm. And also on the 21st, um, there's uh, a, I think it's year troop called 3-5-M. It's E-5-M. E-5, yeah, E-5-M. Mm-hmm. Um, which will mean every five minutes. Mm-hmm. Yep, E5M is a theater troupe. They're actually going to perform during the speak out at Take Back Tonight, and they're a theater troupe that talks about um, sexual assault and domestic violence, and they give a lot of statistics, and they do a few um, improv skits that show you what can happen in situations like that, like with dealing with the police or dealing with another friend. Um, they're really, really interesting and really cool to see, and it, it teaches you a lot at the same time. 
who is also going to be a speaker, mm-hmm. um, Anne Francis. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Anne Francis is from the community, which is one of our goals this year to bring out more people that um, aren't just MSU students, but also other people around the community. Mm-hmm. Um, the first um, speaker we've had who is an outside um, individual, someone who's from East Lansing and knows ever knows the community and knows um, what it's like to live here and work here and work toward social justice at the same time, and she focuses a lot on um, domestic violence issues, so she knows a lot about the topic. Yeah, she's been a social activist for many, many years in the area. Okay, cool. So we have a lot of resources in the community um, for people to go to for, I guess, um, sexual violence. There is the MSU Sexual Assault Crisis Line, the Listening Ear, um, Eve Incorporated, there are hospitals, Sexual Assault Clinic, MSU Safe Place, MSU Self Defense Club, the Met Women's Council, mm-hmm. MSU Sexual Assault Program Slash Counseling Center, and the Olin Health Center for Sexual Health Promotion. I can go on and on and on. Um, do you collaborate with a lot of these groups to put on this event? Oh, of course. Um, many of the people in the planning coalition for Take Back the Night are in Women's Council, are in the Sexual Assault Crisis Intervention Team, SASE. They're in the listening ear. It's just, it's it's um, a consortium, essentially, of people who have a like-minded interest in eradicating sexual assault. We come together, and it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Now, when does Take Back the Night start? Uh, well, like I said, the, an- the 30th anniversary was last year, so 1978. Um, and it was just a group of people, I guess it was in the San Francisco area, who just came together um, very impulsively to um, demand an end to sexual violence and domestic violence and from there it's grown and it takes place all over the country and on many many different campuses and it's a really really great event to expose this issue. And how long have you been doing it here again? At our campus? Yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you for sure. It's been quite a few years but I'm not sure. Okay and it it happens every year? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay Um, and what are some or why did you guys get involved in this event? Well, I've been involved since freshman year. I've been a member of Women's Council, which is how I've gotten exposed to a lot of these issues. Um, all four of us are the community outreach um, part of the organ or part of the planning committee, and um, we're actually helping um, do it. And we're able to do it through a class at the same time, so we have a lot of extra time to put into it. Um, but in the meantime, I have a, a lot of a huge passion for this, and I. Um, have done SASE, and I've done, um, well, SASE, <laughs> and then I'm going to be interning at EVE, but, yeah, it's a really, really great way to um, connect and to um, learn a lot about this issue and meet other people who care, too. Yeah, I first heard about it through working as listening ear, and I was interested in doing it, but just didn't make time for it, and luckily, like she said, um, we've been, we have a class project working with it, so finally made the time for it, and I'm so glad that I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've attended every year since freshman year, but didn't have the time to actually get involved and help plan it until this year with the class, getting the extra time every week to work on it. Pretty much since so. I was a part of the listening year, so I've been um, attending since freshman year, but this is the first year I'm actually in the planning process of it. So talk a little bit about listening year, since a few of you guys have mentioned it. The listening year is a crisis intervention hotline here in East Lansing, but it's nationwide. People throughout the country can call. And we deal a lot with, you know, um, 
suicidal callers or just people who are in various crises. And we have a separate sexual assault counseling group that you have to go through more training because the thing with listening is you have to go through 60 plus hours of training to even become certified to be a counselor so it's pretty intense and then um if you choose to become a sexual assault counselor you have to go through an additional 40 hours of training and it's um it's really beneficial you know you you do help a lot of people and i've seen that after being there for two years so I, I can't imagine what kind of stories you hear i mean how how has it impacted your life being involved with something like the listening year? Um, you hear things from people, things such as, you know, school is getting to me, and you hear the way they say it, and you're just like, wow, that's, that to them is the biggest issue that they're confronting right now, and it is. There's no, you can't trivialize an issue because people deal with it in different ways. So um, each crisis a person has is their biggest crisis, and at, the, at that point, um, and it's just they need, and oftentimes they don't have an outlet for that, like, stress or that frustration. So you're there. You're on the other line. And it's just powerful. So why do you think Take Back the Night is important? I think it brings so much awareness to an issue that often gets put to the side or um, almost trivialized or a lot of times blamed on the um, victim. And I think people who, I mean, it's right in the middle of campus. It's people who don't actually know that the event's going on pass through and might learn something that they didn't know before or be exposed to something that they weren't aware of. And I think it's really important for that. And it's just also a really safe space and an empowering space for individuals who are survivors or co-survivors, allies, friends, everything like that. It's just a great place for everyone to come together and um, rally around an issue and try to, you know, essentially take back that power that might have been taken from them. Yeah, you mentioned how um, it's something that happens right in the middle of campus. Um, I know the Clothesline Project, I remember stumbling, you know, towards it, I think my freshman year when it's, you know, by Beaumont Tower there's this huge clothesline of all these shirts of different colors that say, you know, people's personal experiences of sexual assault. Um, talk a little bit about that. Um, the Clothesline Project was something created um, to re-empower victims or survivors um, or co-survivors. Um, different colors mean different things. Um, white is for someone who might have died as a um, result of violence. There's, you know, purple, red, pink. I'm not sure specifically what the colors, um, what each color is, but I know it's like someone who was raped, someone who um, was a victim of domestic violence, someone who was a victim of child abuse someone who is um, a friend or a sibling, and each shirt can either say something um, specific or a poem or just a picture, but it's something that those people can do as a way of expressing themselves and getting out those emotions in a um, productive way. And how many t-shirts are hung up on these clotheslines? A ton. <laughs> Whoever yeah. wants to can make them. We even, each year we have t-shirts and materials, and if you feel compelled to make one, you make it, and we add it onto the clothesline. It's, so it's an ever-growing um, kind of thing. So. And if someone shows up to the event and they're interested in making one, they can just grab one of the people working here and we'll find a safe place for them to work on it. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I think I remember seeing maybe like 100 t-shirts. I mean, 
I mean, what are some of the things that you read on there? Is it hard for people to open up and be able to write an experience for it to be displayed for whoever's passing by? I think the people who decide that they want to do it are really ready to take that step, and I think that they want to let go of those feelings and gain that their power back um, by making this T-shirt, and um, they know what it's going to, where it's going to be put, and who's going to see it, and I think that's really powerful to them, and I think that's why they choose to do it in the first place. So, what are some things that you, you've read on the T-shirts? Um, we're not actually allowed to um, specifically say what are what we read on the T-shirts, um, since it's a private a private thing. Obviously, you can read it if you come, but it's not something that we can just you know that's someone's experience, and if they want it shared, it can be shared through their um, outlet, not someone else's. I mean, can people take pictures of of, of these? This clothesline? Nope, they have to. Um, we can take pictures from a distance, but if you can see the words, um, you're not uh, able to take pictures um, of the specific shirts because it's almost a violation of their privacy. And I mean, that might sound a little um, hypocritical almost, but you can see them with your own eyes and read them, but you can't take that away. But it's, it's a very personal thing, and I think it's meant simply for your viewing at the time. No, because I remember reading them. I, I, I honestly can't remember of anything specific, but I remember that um, a lot of the subjects, obviously, that were written about is, is very intense, mm-hmm. very emotionally charged. Um, I mean, what are some people's reactions when they go through and look at some of these things? Oh, I mean, we've had stories of, you know, people going to see these T-shirts reading some of the things and then breaking down because they didn't they haven't even come to terms with their own um abuse you know prior abuse or you have people who haven't come to terms with this and then go read other people's stories and just break down it's, it is it's very emotionally charged and you know people are angry people are crying you know it's just and it's that's okay it's it's you're coming to terms with how you can deal with it Mm-hmm. Um, also, to add to that, even if, because it's such an, a powerful experience and that some people are so, so affected by it, we have on hand during the whole day advocates and counselors that anyone who's passing by, um, if they need someone to talk to about this issue, about their own experience, there will always be someone there for them to talk to. And that's something that's really great about this day, too, that there is so many resources available and so many different people who are available for um, to be a listening ear and to just essentially <laughs> um, but yeah it's and it's really great and I think a lot of people who don't expect um, anything from Take Back the Night actually get a lot more than they bargain for which is I mean it's it's a tough issue but I think it's something that really needs to be um, brought to light and that's why this event is such an important day so well, that's great that you have people that are there to be able to talk people through you know these emotions that are happening mm-hmm. because you know when you first started talking about this I'm like well, I mean, aren't people feeling violated? Like, this is an open space. People are walking by, you know, going to class, and like, oh, I was just reminded of, you know, this situation mm-hmm. happened to, you know, regarding, like, sexual assault, and, you know, I feel like some people may feel attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's great that people are there to be able to, you know, be a, be a quote-unquote listening ear <laughs> for people. Um, now I'm going to read out some statistics. Um, some things that I read about 
sexual violence. Um, one in four college women surveyed, um, and I think this was off of the website, mm -hmm. um, the official Take Back the Night website, said one in four college women surveyed are victims of rape or attempted rape. Mm -hmm. Another statistic was every hour, 67 women are victimized by an intimate partner. Another one was 85% of rapes on campuses are acquaintance rapes. Mm -hmm. And the last one, 7% of all American men will um, be sexually assaulted in their lifetime. So with that in mind, um, in reading, you know, these emails that we get maybe, you know, three times a semester of, um, you know, domestic assault happening on campus, do you think that sexual or domestic assault has gotten better or worse over the years? I, it's hard to say. A lot of times people think it's gotten worse, but it's because I think a lot more people are beginning to feel safe about um, coming forward when they are abused because, you know, when, like 30 years ago, it wasn't so easy to go tell, tell someone that your, you know, your husband might be beating you and like, what are you going to, I mean, it's still difficult totally and don't get me wrong but I think it's starting to become easier and so there's more reports and so people tend to think that means it's getting worse but I would like to say it's getting better to be optimistic um, but it's really hard to say since a lot of stuff goes unreported how much better it is or how if it's not any better. So. Now you talked about the history um, how it takes it back when it started um, and again that was in 1978 in San Francisco um, started by um, Women Against Violence, um, and I guess they were protesting specifically about um, pornography in the media. Mm -hmm. um, and, and with the media in, in mind, do you think that the media influences domestic violence or sexual assault? I think in many ways it does. It, um, a lot of the things you see is just the objectification of women, so people think that you know, women are second-class citizens or can be objectified, so then you can victimize them. And also, the other, the double-edged sword is when women or, you know, men, young boys do come forward, they're often re-victimized by the system itself. It's, we don't have a good system in place to um, deal with sexual assault, domestic assault. Not yet, I don't think. it. A lot of it is the media. I agree. It's... Um, objectification, kind of trivialization of these issues that makes it so that it's not taken seriously anymore. And the other side of it is the way men are portrayed in the media also, because young boys are taught how masculine they have to be and how they have to be strong and in charge and everything. Mm -hmm. And they just learn this from a really young age. Um, and of course it goes both ways. Men are victims to survivors. So you're talking about men. Didn't, didn't you mention that there's um, like a forum mm -hmm. for men at this event? Yep, there's a men's forum, um, which is um, I think around 5:45, um, and it's specifically geared towards men who have been survivors of sexual assault or domestic violence. And I think even though it's largely an a women's issue, it's still a, a man's issue too. And um, men are allies of other women and other men and friends and brothers and sons. And I think um, the more men who care about this issue will help improve the situation um, just by being supporters and being allies and, you know, acknowledging that this happens. Because, um, I mean, no one blames every single man that, you know, walks on the street. It's not, as you know, you can't generalize and say it's, 
you know, it's the whole male population's fault because it's not. And um, just like women can be perpetrators too. And I mean, it's everyone's issue. It's not just a male or female issue. And I think that people really need to recognize that. Okay. And now where can people go for more information about events that are going on during um, April, the Sexual Assault Awareness Month, or um, about on Tuesday the 21st, the Take Back the Night event? Um, we have posters all around campus, for one. Um, we have an email address, if um, I'm not, I can't remember it, actually, so okay. on the top of my head. Um, oh, can you there's Google, a, Google it? Yeah, you can Google it. Um, it's a Facebook. There's a Facebook, of course, Facebook. I didn't even think of that. But, yes, there's a Facebook event um, and a group. So it's pretty easy to find if you really want to um, find out more about it. But, yeah, there's posters all over campus. Um, I'd also like to um, mention that we have uh, Words of Hope and Healing event um, on Thursday and Friday. It's the, same, it's the same event, but two different days. So people can attend if they um, live on or off campus or and have the time. Um, it's specifically just for a speak out. It's almost like the speak out during the day, but it's beforehand. And um, it's really, really powerful. The one on Thursday is held at the Creole Gallery on campus. Or not the Creole Gallery, the Lookout Gallery um, on campus in the SniFi um, dormitories. It looks over the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. And the other one is in the Creole Gallery in Old Town on Friday, and they both start at 7. Oh, and we're also going to be tabling um, this upcoming week, so if people want to come and get flyers, Find out more information. Um, we'll be at The Rock on Monday and then in Wells Hall on Wednesday and Thursday, and that's from 10 to 3. Okay. Well, thank you, um, the planning committee of Take Back the Night, for coming on the thank show you. and talking about your event. You're looking to exposure on 8.9 For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gangers look at you as a gang member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom was telling me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student, is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. You're listening to Exposure on 88.9, The Impact. Phone lines are open at 432-389. And now, back to Exposure. Welcome back to Exposure. I am your host, Emily Fox. And as a part of the Global Spartan segment of Impact Exposure, Maria, Scott, and Catherine are here to talk about their experiences growing up in military families. So welcome to the show. Thank Thank you. So I guess we can start about um, talking about what it was like growing up, I guess, on military bases. Well, it was very structured. Um, There would be this morning song that happened in the morning. (laughs) And then we'd have um, the anthem where everyone had to stop and watch and look at the flags. And then at night there was a little silent thing to tell you to go to bed. Well, for the soldiers, right? 
Well, where did where did you all grow up? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> um, I grew up in Naval Air Facility at Fuji, Japan. Okay. Um, I've kind of grown up all over the place. Overseas, I was in Iwakuni, Japan, and Okinawa. That's a hard question for me to answer. Um, I've lived in uh, Kuwait, uh, Korea, and um, Japan. Um, I guess Hawaii, but so basically I've, I've grown up around the world. I mean, how often would you guys usually move? I, I um, move every, every two years. Yeah, they're just like every three or four years. Yeah. The longest I've ever lived in one place is six years. Six years. Mm-hmm. I mean, was that hard or was it fun and exciting for you guys? It was kind of just normal. It was sort of hard sometimes because you would, like, get attached to, like, friends and other families, and then you'd have to just drop that and go to a different base and start over again. But as, like, time went on, it was it was a little bit easier. And a lot of people would move over the summer, so, like, you'd come back to school in the fall and be like, who's going to be here, who's not? Mm-hmm. I mean, what was education like there? Did you have, like... Um, on the basis, were there schools that everyone went to, or did you just go to normal schools? Uh, we, we went to schools on base um, with other Americans like us. Um, depending on the size of the base, the school could be really small. I went to a school with about 150 high school students at one point, and another school with like a thousand high school students on base. Um, yeah, my school had like about 2,000. And there were also international schools that you could have gone to on base if you wanted to. Now, have you, so living out from military base to military base, did you do that all throughout, I guess, um, life until you went to college? Yes, <laughs> pretty much. Um, my dad retired from the Marine Corps when I was 16, I think, and so we moved to Okinawa where he was a civilian contractor and then we moved to Florida and that was the, my senior year of high school was the only time I've ever been to an American public school that wasn't really affiliated with the military at all. Interesting experience. <laughs> I mean, um, you hear a lot of stories where, I mean, you get attached to a lot of your friends and then you have to leave like two or three years after. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the good thing about it is you're given so much experience, you just, you learn to adapt almost immediately into, you know, the culture that you just become absorbed into it. So, I mean, it's it's really great. And when I first came to college, I didn't know anyone here because coming from Kuwait, so um, I just learned to adapt to the people here and learned to really understand where they came from. So, in that way, it's a really great experience. Yeah, so you're talking about the adjustment and how that has, you know, growing up on military bases, how that's influenced your life now. How do the rest of you guys say that your life, how you may be different from those that didn't grow up on military bases, how your outlook on life or the out, your outlook of the world or situations that happen? Mm, more open to different types of cultures. We understand other people more. I think um, currently I'm okay in environmental office of culture and academic transition. It's definitely helped me in my job, like helping other people to adjust to college. I think it's definitely helped me to be a good English. Yeah, so I'm, I'm actually a mentor in, in a um, residence hall, and we work closely with OCAT aides. Um, you know, you have your mentor that lives on the floor and, you know, works for the residents, but then there's also an OCAT aide that's assigned, like, per building mm-hmm. who works specifically with people, you know, transfer students or um, international students. Um, I mean, how, talk, can you talk about a specific experience where you've worked with someone where your experience from living on a military basis has helped you? Um, 
I have a few international students in my building from Japan. So, like, I've been able to, like, kind of talk to them about living in Japan and what it was like. And it's, they like talking about home because it makes them feel at home. So it's always really nice. So what do military bases look like? Um, basically, it's like a little neighborhood surrounded by barbed wire. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really weird because in Japan, like Japanese architecture, like the way Japanese cities are built, everything's like really close together, really right. cramped. The buildings are all really small. But then you get on base, and then it's fields of grass. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a little suburbia. Yeah. So that it cancels out from the rest of the city. And also, like, it's almost like you're in, like, an American bubble. And then when you go, like, outside, out of those gates, there's, like, a new culture, like, a new way of life that, that's out there for you to explore. It's so much fun. Are you able to explore it a lot? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're, you're allowed to go on and off. There's no mm-hmm. limit, so. Yeah. yeah. Now, are there rules while you're on the base that are different? Is it kind of like a... Yeah. Um, I remember at one point we had a curfew on base and just... Everyone's in, they're, like, the only people allowed on base are supposed to be, you're supposed to have military card to get on base here, so you're allowed to have guests, but you have to find them in at the gate when they come on base, and you have to be with them at all times and then sign them out. And also, like, um, they have tightening, like, security, especially if there's, like, um, what is it? Is there, like, Terrorism, yeah. <laughs> yeah. depending on the like the security risk level, yeah. that'll be different. Yeah, like a lot of my friends, like they when they get the image of a military base, very military, militaristic, you know, very like on lockdown, tightened security. But I mean, um, in my childhood, when I used to live in Okinawa, Japan, I just remember like just it being really free, and you can just like hang out with your friends. And I, I'm not sure if it was yeah. different on the mainland Japan, but we didn't really have a curfew on base, you know. So it was very safe, you know, kids were allowed to just um, go play till 10 o'clock at night, everything like that. But um, I think primarily why people thought it was so safe because it was on base and there was barbed wire and everything like that. So, But inside the base, it was exactly like a suburbia. So. Yeah. And there were rules, but I mean, they were more applicable to the actual soldiers rather yeah. than mm-hmm. us kids living on base. Like, they have dress codes for the soldiers and stuff. And that we didn't necessarily adhere to all around. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about dress <laughs> Yeah, I'm picturing a society, because one of my friends grew up on military base in the U.S., and she said, you know, there'd just be rows of houses that look all the same. Mm-hmm. And, and then you guys talk about, you know, surrounded by barbed wire. <laughs> and I'm like thinking of, okay, you're in the middle of Japan, and... And then there's just like it looks like America's suburbia within this barbed wire fence, mm-hmm. and everyone is has a strict dress code. And then there's you know cast at night, and <laughs> you know the trumpet sounding in the morning. <laughs> I mean, what, I mean, what were some big differences in daily life that um, are different from life here, or different from outside that barbed wire fence? Um, well, what I noticed, like compared to like back home from here, is like. It was really friendly back there. Like, everyone would be like, hey, what's up? How are you doing, you know? And then over here, it's just everyone keeps themselves and mm-hmm. doesn't really say hi like when they pass you. I remember a comment that one of my teachers in high school made one time about how we weren't really, like, segregated. Like, he talked about how it's different in when he was back in the States. Like, everybody's segregated. Like, 
by class, by socioeconomic status, and then you come on base and, like, officers' children are just, like, hanging out with, like, lower-ranking children, and it doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, like, they sort of touched on it, but, like, in a sense, you sort of develop your own culture. You know, um, like, when I was a kid, I didn't really look at race, I didn't really look at socioeconomic status. It was more just, like, um, all everyone's on the same base, you're all in the same situation, so we're just out there to have fun, you know, just to hang out together and make the best of it. You still have, like, the kids who play basketball who all hang out together and the kids who, like, skateboarded who all hang out with each other, but it was just, it was more like one large community rather than the different, like, separated communities. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess community is a big word when, when I guess you're, like you would say, this little bubble, you know, inside this other world, you know, people need someone to relate to in a situation like that and so you get closer. You know, you, you have, like you said, you know, there, you know, everyone seems friendlier and here everyone's just kind of stuck to themselves. You know, you have these communities here in the U.S. where no one knows who their neighbor is, you right. know. <laughs> um, so that's kind of cool. Is there anything else that you guys would like to add before I start wrapping up the interview? I miss the food. Yeah, yeah. Miss the food. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I definitely miss the food, too. <laughs> the fan is too expensive for me. It's oh, yeah. Definitely suggest to anybody get out of get out of your country. Get out of your country. Go travel. Definitely experiences. Go visit other places. So you can get as many of you more rounded, well-rounded people. So yeah, especially yeah. like we live in such a globalized society, it's, it'd be ridiculous not to take advantage of it. Yeah. All right, well, that's the rest of the hour. But thank you, Maria, Scott, and Catherine for coming on as part of the Global Spartan to talk on impact exposure, talk about military families and life in that setting. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this evening's Exposure, only on 88.9 The Impact.